Hi, everyone. Welcome to the edition of Roar Lions Radio. I would not blame you if you did not listen to. Uh, I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, Nick Polak is uh, at a fancy dinner or something. Matt DeBear uh, was at the game, so I'm not going to make him relive that. Instead, I decided to get intern Matt on. Matt Filipovitz, what's up, buddy? Uh, nothing much, Bill. How are you? Ah, I've been better. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was... Not exactly a banner weekend uh, for the Penn State football program. The then 14th ranked Nittany Lions walked into Ann Arbor. Uh, The good news is that Penn State scored a touchdown. Um, The bad news is just about everything else. The Wolverines uh, were able to defend their home field. Uh, The latest stop on uh, this very silly revenge tour that I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit over the course of this podcast. Final score, 42-7. Uh, Trace McSorley, 5 for 13, 83 yards and a pick. Uh, Tommy Stevens also uh, got some run at quarterback, 3 for 4, 35 yards and a pick. Penn State is a team, 30 carries, 68 yards. Uh, Two Penn State receivers caught passes. Uh, Jahan Dotson caught two, KJ Hamward caught one. Just about everything worked for Michigan. Uh, They were efficient throwing the ball with Shea Patterson. Uh, They ground Penn State's defense into dust again. Running the ball again, that's going to be a thing that we talk about a little bit a little bit later in the podcast. Um, yeah, Matt, I, I put this one down um, as kind of our way to start talking about this game. Because it's a very broad, it's a very general question. Um, what was the worst thing about Saturday? Whether it's, you know, something that happened on the field whether it's something uh, bigger than this game itself, whatever it might be. Uh, before I get into that, I, I just I'm looking at the box store right here. I didn't realize only you're right. Only two receivers mm-hmm. caught passes. That's that's insane. I didn't Go- even think of that. Mostly because I don't remember any of the eight passes because it feels like well, every time Trix McSorley had the ball, he was on the ground within two seconds. Well, I I mean the pass to open the game to Pat Fryermuth was like a nice little. Joel oh, it was like, so hey, exciting. I'm like, yeah, like, we yeah, got it. They can do something here. They can move this ball in this defense. There's going to be that space if Trace has time to throw. No. No. Nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The, I think the worst part has to have been the offensive line play was just really, really, really bad. Uh, it's not even like Don Brown was dialing up like really creative or like overwhelming blitzes. It was kind of just like they were just getting manhandled. They were just getting beat, whether it be you know, Winovich or, you know, one of the other guys that have along that line. It was just, it was one of the worst offensive line performances I can remember. Um, probably going back, I mean, going back to my freshman year here when it was 2015 at Temple, it wasn't that bad, but, you know, kind of like plays like that, that really jump out to me. It was, it was up there with that. Yeah. And it, it's kind of just football 101 when they can get home uh, with four or five guys and they can, you know, really disrupt a quarterback's rhythm, uh, that makes throwing the ball a million times harder. You want them to have to be have to blitz in order to get there. And the offensive line, just on a whole, mixed with the fact that uh, McSorley's knee was banged up, it, it just didn't... It, it didn't work. Like, it was just a recipe for disaster. Basically, from the beginning, I mean, you and I were talking before we came on about... Uh, you tell us what went through your mind in the first two plays of the game, Matthew. Uh, so right when I saw, you know, Chaz Wright was starting, that kind of surprised me because I don't think he got any reps with the ones at, at practice this week, if I remember correctly. I mean, he he rotates in occasionally, but I thought if he got any, it was like one or two. 
But when I saw Will Fry's in, I'm like, all right. I mean, they must clearly think he's, or I'm sorry, when I saw Chaz Wright in to start, I'm like, all right, they must think he's going to, you know, put together a good game. Will Fry's must not be, you know, getting it done for him. And I think it was just play two. And I think it was just Winovich just absolutely just, I think, did a little move to get underneath and just blew by him. And then this basically the same thing happened the very next play. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be a theme, I'm thinking, today. So right from the start, uh, it kind of just it kind of just gashed my hopes right there, which was a not not a fun way to, to go into the big house with with upset hopes to come out like that. Yeah, yeah the good news is uh, you were right uh, when you predicted that it was going to be a theme. The bad news uh, was that you were right that when you predicted that it was going to be a theme. So uh, not great. Yeah, I, it was as it was a really tough performance by Penn State's offensive line. I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit more a little bit later in the pod. For me, it, it's the fact that Michigan looked beatable for the first half of that game. I mean, don't get me wrong, Penn State's offense wasn't really getting the chance to do much of anything. It was struggling to move the ball a bit. Uh, Michigan looked like it was manhandling Penn State. Uh, its offensive line was just winning up front. It was going. It, it was like in a boxing match where a boxer throws a jab and then throws another jab. It just throws hundreds and hundreds of jabs, and they never connect with that haymaker. But you know that you're getting worn down because they are just jabbing you so so much. But having said that, Penn State goes into the half. Moving the, it moves the ball a little bit in its final drive. The drive ends up stalling out. But it looks like Penn State's starting to get into a rhythm. And we all, as fans, kind of started to get this sense of hope that maybe they could turn things around. Um, and as we've kind of seen throughout this season, uh, when that little shred of hope pops up for Penn State fans, unless they're playing Iowa... Um, it's it's not going to come to fruition. It really was as I don't want to say disappointing because I expected Michigan to win this game. I predicted something along the lines of like thirty-one to seventeen. So you know, eleven points in one direction, ten points in the other direction, whatever. It was still disappointing to watch a team that prides itself, Matt. On coming out every game and having this, having that every single, how many times we hear it during the week up to pit? Every single week we approach like it's our Super Bowl. Every single game is our Super Bowl because it's that week's game. And then we see this, Matt. And I think to me that's what made me the most upset, the most angry, the most whatever you want to say about this game. Oh, yeah. It felt like the kind of game where something was going to kind of bounce back in Penn State's favor. I, it, it was a great job by Brent Bryan in the first half to basically do damage control. Yep. I, the yep. fact that it went into halftime 14-0, I think, is, is just ridiculous. They were getting blown off the field in every aspect uh, of the game, it felt like. So I think I think you're right. I think it's because... They were able to keep it close like that. So we're just like, okay, you know, if Trace connects in that deep ball down the field to Tompkins, that, that's a play right there that can get him back into it. There's a whole bunch of different stuff that looked like they were right there. But in reality, that was kind of just like it, more or less fool's gold, I guess. Oh, I like that term. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of the best way to describe it. it. It felt close because the score was close, but it really wasn't. Yeah, you th- this... Uh... 
uh, this might have been your freshman year. I think that everyone... 2015 was my, 2015, was my freshman year. Okay, so yes, yeah, so it was your freshman year. Everyone wants to go back to the 2016 Michigan game where Penn State walked in, lost 49-10 in the big house. This one reminded me a little bit more of in 2015 when uh, the Christian Hackenberg freshman Saquon Barkley Penn State team walked into Ohio Stadium against a top-ranked Ohio State team. And really, they competed. They fought hard, but Penn State just... The big thing that seemed like it was an issue was just that the offense could not sustain a drive and keep, in that game, Ohio State's offense off the field. Uh, In this game, of course, Michigan's offense. But they're... The offense's inability to give the defense a rest. I mean, the fact that Michigan uh, had the ball for uh, nearly 38 minutes of game time is unfathomable. The offense just could not stay on the field, and it led to the defense getting, uh, you know, really getting worn down. And by the end of the game, it was for it was 42 to seven. It felt like if Michigan uh, really wanted, it could have been a little bit worse. And then, you know, Penn State, you know, gets a touchdown at the end of the game. Whatever. Uh, I want to talk about the offense in general. Uh, And there are three offensive things that I want to discuss. Uh, We'll get to the offensive line a little bit later. Uh, On deck right now is the skill position. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with quarterback play. Whether it was uh, Trace McSorley, whether it was Tommy Stevens, whatever it might be, um, I think we need to have we, we need to have a conversation about quarterbacks, Matt. For me, the thing that was the most stunning. I thought from early on it looked like Trace wasn't right. I thought it looked like he wasn't as mobile. I thought it looked like he was take, you know, he was getting swallowed up a little bit. That could have been the offensive line thing, whatever. And then it looks like he hurts his knee in the third. I want to say the third quarter, and Tom, or it might have been the end of the second quarter even. Tommy, I think it was. Yeah, Tommy Stevens then comes out, throws one of the worst picks that I have ever seen someone not named Nathan Peterman throw in my entire life. That was the worst moment in my Twitter career because I was on the blog Twitter and I think I tweeted like Tommy time, let's ride. And like immediately after I hit send, that pick happened and I, I was going to delete the tweet. But it was like I kind of thought it was a little bit funny. That like, yeah, all right, yeah, what are the yeah. odds that would happen? Yeah. So I left it up. That was that one. That one hurt. And the weirdest thing was when it looked like Trace came out for the injury, they then put him back in for one possession in which he threw a pick and then took him out. Like it looked like. And I want to know your thoughts. It looked to me like Trey should not have been in that football game. I don't want to say at halftime, but at a certain point, they needed to pull that dude just for his own good. Oh, for sure. I think it was. What was it? When did he? When did he get banged up with the knee? Was that? Was that the Iowa game? Right? It wasn't. Yes, Michigan it was State. Iowa. Iowa. He banged so, up. Uh, after the game in Franklin's press conference, he said they trust McSorley to let him know when he's good. He's earned that right. After I think that was, I think Trace McSorley was like, I'm in the big house. I, I want to will back a win. Put me back in. Like, trust me. And I think that he wasn't good. I, this also really threw me off. He was wearing a different knee brace 
on Saturday than I saw him wear at practice on Wednesday. Because, I mean, I, I get that, like, he's not, probably not taking hits on Wednesday practices. But the brace he had on, on Wednesday was a lot, a lot smaller. Like, it, it, was, it was borderline underneath his knee pad. So uh, I don't know if that was limited his mobility a bit more, having that bigger one. Um, but, yeah, uh, McSorley should not have come back in the game. I, I get that, you know, you're a fifth-year senior and you want to come in and you want to try to, you know, do the impossible and pull that big upset against a defense that's been playing lights out all game. But uh, that that's that was just a, uh, at some point a coach has to say, I can't put you back in. Yeah, I, I mean, I – don't get me wrong. There – I, I – Trace McSorley is maybe my favorite player in program history. He's the best quarterback in program history. All that stuff. Matt McGloin. Sorry, I forgot you're from uh, the eastern part of Pennsylvania. My bad. Uh, the, the, the thing is, at a certain point, you have to remember that he's still a kid. He, I, I mean, he's 21, 22 years old. You don't learn anything about life or your limits until like after you graduate college. At a certain point, you have to have to as a coaching staff step in and just be like trace you're getting knocked around it's the best defense in america this game is on the brink this is not a we need tommy stevens to go in and you know get beaten up for you thing it's a we don't want your career to end uh with by with you exacerbating a knee injury in a game that we are losing 14 nothing at the half uh, 28 nothing by the end of the third quarter end up losing 42 to 7. I think it's very possible that Trace honestly thought he can just keep playing. Um and again like I think in that circumstance as a coach you're put into an it, it's nearly impossible to read that correctly. It's nearly impossible to say I don't trust that you're telling me the truth. But man, you got to think that at a certain point they just need to cuz it wasn't just the hits. It was, it was missing DeAndre Tompkins on a throw that if Trace puts that on the money, you know, for DeAndre's issues with drops this year, he's he can moonwalk into the end zone at that point. Yeah, that's it's, six, without a doubt. It's missing other throws. It's the fact that, you, you know, I don't know what this the sack number is, but he got, you know, 12 rushes. So 12 rushes plus sacks put on his name in what, two and a half, three quarters of football. Like, it was rough. And it looks like there were five sacks total. Five sacks total? Michigan, the, right. the Michigan defense had, yeah. Okay, I'm sure one or two of them happened on Tommy. So, yeah. Still. Still. It, it's, it's just rough, man. It's tough to see a quarterback who has accomplished everything that Trace has just go out and really get his ass kicked like that. Uh, it, it, you know, his... I'm sure there are going to be plenty of detractors who are going to point to the facts. You know, it's the perpetual debate with Trace. Uh, is he actually Penn State's best quarterback? Because for whatever reason, there are people who think he's not good, even though, you know, his receivers lead the nation in drops or whatever. Like his adjustment. not even close either. And there's oh. no way it can be even close. Well, and he's thrown 244 passes this year. And. I, I think the number is something like 26 or 27 of them have been drops. And he is completing 52% of his passes. It's like it's not hard to link A to B. And of course, that's yeah. the kind of thing that limits an offense and you kind of have to keep tracing when that's happening because he's still your best chance of winning and stuff. But still, man, it, it just wasn't his day. And 
we'll get into uh, the last three weeks of the year uh, here in a bit, uh, before, and specifically with Trace and what uh, the plan kind of needs to be with him. But I, I want to talk about the skill position, guys. I want to talk about the receivers. I want to talk about uh, Miles Sanders. Uh, I... Uh, th- this might be a bit of a hot take, Matt. I I understand the frustration with them, uh, but at the same time, um, I don't. Th- I think if you want to hang your hat on uh, getting upset with things with the skill position guys, with how good Michigan's defense is, I'm not sure uh, if this is the game to do that. Even if they had as bad of a game as you're going to see a bunch of skill position guys have from the, uh, from miles to the receivers to, to base every tight end, not named Pat. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, this Michigan defense is littered with first and second day NFL talent. I mean, especially in the secondary. Uh, but at, at the same time, I mean, we've, we've always been saying that James Franklin, this great recruiter and he has these playmakers and I, I'm sure part of it was not being able to get him the ball, but part of it has to be, you know, these guys aren't getting open, uh, holes aren't opening up or stuff like that. Uh, I, 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 I'm not that hot of a take, I guess, not really to blame him, but it's easy to see, you know, why I think why people are, are really frustrated. Mm-hmm. I, when you have, uh, uh, again, two receive, I cannot say this enough. Not only did two receivers catch passes. Two freshmen. Yeah. One was a redshirt freshman. One was a true freshman who's they made the decision to burn his redshirt last week. Yeah, one was a redshirt freshman two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't, th- like, I don't think Juwan, like, Juwan Johnson was hurt, whatever, that he would have, I think, given them a little something. He would have given them at least, like, a bigger threat to have out there. But, yeah. And I know DeAndre Tompkins, uh, you know, he should have had a touchdown if Trace puts that ball in the money, but you need something out of the guy who's a senior or a redshirt senior, whatever Tompkins is. You need something out of Brandon Polk, who keeps getting run despite the fact that I, I don't have here, I'll pull it up right here. His numbers on the year, he has caught uh, nine balls for 162 yards. He hasn't caught a ball since the Michigan State game. I, How many times does he have targets on there? No, it does not. I, I once uh, you know Bill C updates all that that stuff will be available. But you, those are the guys you need stuff out. You need stuff out of the veterans, and for veterans to regress and underperform the way that they have, it's tough. And yeah, Michigan has. Perhaps the best secondary in college football by S&P Plus. They have the best defense in college football. Going into Ann Arbor and scoring on them is very difficult, especially when they were so obviously pissed off about last year's game. But having said that, you need something, man. You need literally anything. You cannot get the performance that Penn State had. And I'm sh- I know with the receiving core between Jahan Dotson and KJ Hamler and Justin Shorter and Daniel George. We're, we got us. We have to see Justin Shorter these last these last three weeks of the year. I, I, the staff's clearly going to redshirt him. They would have played him by now. We There's no way we're not going to see him in the next three games or the bowl game. So maybe not. Yeah, I was going to say maybe, uh, yeah. Wisconsin maybe not the Wisconsin game. Yeah. And then yeah. have him just have him see what you got. I mean, that's the good news about this uh, new redshirt rule. And again, uh, th- we will discuss that momentarily. But with them... It's brutal. 
that that's something you need, and that's something that it hurts Trace, it hurts the offense as a whole. It's not great. Miles yeah. Sanders, listen, Michigan's front, Michigan's front seven is insane. That they do not let people run on them, especially on. And that's really you can really only run on them if you have one of those offensive lines where it's like everyone is six four and three hundred and twenty five pounds and can shove you around. Um, I don't. And even put, then, you're, yeah. you're averaging four yards a carry. Yeah. So I'm not too like concerned about him. Um, I I think that if anything, the next few weeks are going to be interesting for him because I I wouldn't be surprised if they do ride him a little more both between Trace's knee and anything that might otherwise happen with the quarterback uh, position over the next few weeks because of that. Um, but you need to be able to make one or two big plays in order to beat Michigan. And it was just really hard, Matt, watching as Penn State's receivers couldn't get open to make those big plays and they couldn't run the ball to any success to even consider making a big play. Yeah, Jordan Brown looked good. One carry, eight yards. You know, that puts him six yards behind the second leading rusher with 14 yards, which is Sanders. Well, Tommy, so, had, Tommy you know. had 52. Yeah, Tommy 52. Yeah, I, I think the most stressful part, uh, apart, just I mean, I love Trace McSorley. I think he's the best quarterback on the roster. But his inability to hit those little quick crossing, he feels like he overthrow, like, always overthrows those little, like, four-yard crossing routes to get guys in space. And he overthrew another one uh, on Saturday that I think would have been a big play. Um but yeah, by and large, I think it's more so on you know the offensive line and just uh, Michigan's just honestly just having the better players. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. I think it's really all it comes down to. Yeah, and that was especially the case with the offensive line. Uh, especially the case with the offensive line. I mean, yeah. when you have... I, I wrote uh, for the day job that for how good Ed Oliver is and for how good... Um, for how good that Nick Bosa was, when it comes to pure talent, uh, there was a uh, there was a chance that Rashawn Gary could have ended this year as the best defensive lineman in football. He was hurt, so he didn't get a chance to really do everything that we expect out of him. But he's a freak of nature. Chase Winovich is one of those super high mega motor guys. Khalid Hudson should be here. He's awesome. Joshua Uche is very good. Devin Bush is very good. Like you need your offensive line to have their best game of the year if you want to survive against Michigan and they just did not do that they, they, yeah 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 no not at all uh yeah this is from the start it just seemed like they were just it seemed like Michigan's defensive line was just faster that's really basically all it came down to it was like I said it's not really any crazy schemes they just looked you know speed kills they just looked flat out faster which is, you know, unfortunate. I, I really high hopes for the offensive line this year. And don't get me wrong, I mean, they've been fine. But yeah. th- this was just a really, really, really bad regression it, uh, uh, in the game. It, it's weird because it looks like whenever a defensive line has talent and the ability to, like, do a stunt, that Penn State's offensive line is, like, just unable to do anything about it. I don't, like, that might just be one of those, like, super pessimistic things that I only notice when it goes wrong, but it feels like that's an issue. And I'm sure at some point I'll go back and watch uh, bits and pieces of this game, but yeah, it's it's been a rough go for the offensive line. And the good news, 
is that they're this they're bringing everyone back on this offensive line next year, uh, and just about everybody in the two deep. Yeah, the outside of oh, right. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean next. Next year's team, like we've mentioned this, I think on the pod before. Next year's team, if they can, if it can find a quarterback, it is going to be better than next year's team. This year's team, I mean. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah I, to, I don't want to get into next year yet because yeah, there's still, yes. you know, still three more games of football left in this year. Right. And, exactly. Know, exactly. A lot of fun left to be had. So, <laughs> but I, I mean, when you look at the offensive line, I mean, the best the best thing an offensive line can have is experience and. Next year, barring Connor McGovern or Ryan Bates going pro, or like Steven Gonzalez going pro, because you know he can also do that. Everyone's coming back next year, and I understand. I don't that, think anyone's gonna go pro though. Mm-hmm, I agree. I think I, I agree I'd be shocked that. if any of them did. I think I agree with that. Maybe you have I think like maybe. Go ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. I think maybe if McGovern um, would have stayed at center, I think maybe he kind of just could have put enough on film to you know to warrant being like, all right, yeah, you know, I, I might sneak in. Yeah, one of the later rounds. I think him moving, uh, him moving back to guard and jumping around a different position, basically three different years. I think that kind of, yeah, not helps Penn State's cause for him to stay, but helps Penn State's cause for him to stay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the next year's offensive line, this year's offensive line, it has taken steps forward. It has gotten better. Like, oh, absolutely. That it, it's a weird thing to say after watching them get mauled by Michigan, but the offensive line has gotten better, and next year they're going to have guys. Like Des Holmes, who we know they like, like uh, Mike Miranda, who we know awesome. they like, CJ, CJ, uh, CJ Thorpe, who we know they like. I almost said CJ Holmes, CJ Thorpe, who we know they like. They have talent among the starters and a two deep. It's going to be better next year, but it really did not. What you could have told, you could have told me that right after the game, and I would have said no, it wasn't. Um, yeah, I think we should talk about the defense a little bit. Um, I. Yeah. I don't think this was not the the numbers made it look worse than it was. I think I, I Michigan had 403 yards of total offense. Uh, they had about 5.8 yards per play, success rate of 41.1 percent. Um, having said all of that, Matt, I, and I know you agree with me on this. I thought the defense played as well as it realistically could have. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, John Reed, play, all things considered, played a pretty good game. Uh, I have a, Jan Johnson with ten tackles, but that's also because they ran the ball up the gut ninety times, seemingly. You know, Etor played pretty well. Micah Parsons, you know, second on the team in tackles. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, you know, f- forgetting just a wrecking ball thrown at them for three hours, they they you know they held their own pretty well. I mean, you, let's see, you take the pick six off the board, uh, you know, the fumble put them in bad field position. Yeah, again, all things considered, it, it wasn't by any means. It didn't seem like a defense that gave up 42 points. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, seven of them are in the offense, and then you can add as many because of the pick six, and then you can add however many more uh, you want based on uh, you know other weird little things like bad field position, like Penn State, like Blake Gillikin not having his best game, like uh, you know Penn State's offense never really giving them opportunities to hang out on the sideline and catch their breath and regroup. Like I'm going through the uh, drive chart right now. Penn State's drives, four plays, three plays, four plays, one play, three play, nine plays, end of the half. Three plays, three plays, two plays, three plays, one play, 11 plays, end of game. So yikes. 
Yikes. I, I have not looked until right now, and oh my god, that is worse than I thought it was. That's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they couldn't catch their breath. And by the end of the game, when Michigan went touchdown, pick six, six touchdown, touchdown, it was obvious that that was the case. And I, I think that a guy like Jan Johnson, I thought he... I was more impressed with Jan Johnson, I think, than anyone else in the defense. Because all, oh, for sure. what you need to do against Michigan is... Half the battle is knowing where you got to be. Half the battle is knowing when they're running the football, being able to read and react. And he he's not the strongest guy. He's not the fastest guy. He is the most physically limited defender on this defense. And yet he has one hell of a brain for playing linebacker. And while he wasn't always able to get there, he was there more often than not doing his best. And it felt like the... So kudos to him. It felt like the floodgates were going to open eventually. It took yeah. a while, but they eventually opened. And it led to, again, Michigan's offense playing a little bit better than I think we, uh, I think it actually did, even though it did, it, it did have a solid game. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Penn State's offense being probably the much bigger reason why Penn State's defense had such a rough afternoon. Um, the other thing that I think led to having a rough afternoon uh, it, the, can I just touch on, can I yeah, touch on Dan Johnson real quick? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I feel like the, the he's the starting linebacker not because he is the most physically gifted person. This is still a super young defense, and there is no doubt in my mind on every single play, Jan Johnson knows where every player should be. Uh, that, that's why Jan Johnson's your starting guy in the middle. Uh, right, right. That's a skill. That's a yeah, skill. That's exactly the reason why. Yeah, that's, that's what he's there for. And, you know, you're replacing a lot of leadership. You have so many young players out there. Yeah, he, he does his job. He does, you know, he's like Trevor Williams was a few years ago. He, he's nothing special, but he's going to do his job. That's that's my comparison I'll go with. Yeah, I, that's that's totally fair. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if the hope is that he's not starting next year, uh, that, you know, uh, Jesse Lukita type is able to kind of gra- take that job away from him. Um, but he's not going to give it up. I mean, he's... If he continues to get bigger and stronger, which I know we is probably something you don't want to say about a guy as old as he is, but yeah. at six two two thirty one, if you want, if he can keep progressing physically, I mean, he wrestled for a while and he wasn't exactly the biggest dude on the mat when he was out there, even though he was at heavyweight. That's a guy that you can kind of be. You're you're not going to. He's not going to be the centerpiece of your defense, but you're going to feel good, fine with him being out there. Uh, yeah, his. His ideal role is 2017 uh, Brandon Smith. That's his ideal role. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And uh, hopefully we're, uh, Jesse Lukita can become the Jason Kabinda to that. Uh, what I want to talk about next, and this is something that kind of goes to the defense, and it, it finishes up a thought that I was having before uh, we talked about Jan Johnson. I think this is probably the better place for it anyway. Um, the approach to the final three games of the season. Because Penn State at the – it's very obviously not winning the Big Ten East. Um, it could conceivably win out and get third place uh, over Michigan State, uh, depending on how some stuff uh, shakes out for Michigan State as well. I want to know your thoughts on the balance between going for a 9-3 and three year and then you know getting to the bowl game and going for uh, you know their third double-digit win year in a row and balancing that with getting playing time 
for younger guys, having Micah Parsons eat into Koa Farmer's minutes, having uh, the young receivers eat into DeAndre Tompkins' uh, not minutes, sorry, my basketball brain, snaps, having uh, Jonathan Sutherland eating into Nick Scott snaps, that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, they're going to play to win. I think we all knew it was going to be kind of a down year. I had them at 9-3 and three, uh, in, my, in, I think in my preseason prediction. So, you know, I, I think that's still very attainable, even with getting those guys' minutes. But I do think, uh, what was it, this defense played 100 snaps at Indiana. They played a bunch at Iowa, and you just said they played a bunch at Michigan. So at this point, you know, those those guys are the young guys who probably should be heading for a red shirt. It's young guys who've, you know, played a little bit, haven't gotten that much experience. This is the time to play them. Right now, you know, let's see if, I don't know, um, not Scruggs, um, uh, Judge Culpepper. Let's see if he can help us out defensive tackle if they think he's ready. Uh, Isaiah Humphreys, let's see what he can do. Uh, so I, I think you're still going to go for the wins. I think that's just, you know, nature of a football team and, you know, the coaching staff. You know, there's no draft in college football. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to gain anything by losing. So I think they're going to go. I think they're going to play to win, but they're going to rotate, I think, a lot more young guys and just uh, kind of give those seniors like Nick Scott, like you said, Koa Farmer. I think they're going to I think you're going to see their snaps decrease in favor of guys like Parsons and Sutherland, who have both played great. John Sutherland has impressed me almost as much as any young defender on the team. He's been great. Uh, I'm excited to see how they're going to go about it. Yeah, I, for me, the the number one thing you need Micah Parsons to get as many snaps as possible. That oh, for sure. To me, that that is the one that is not debatable. Like between yeah. the struggles that Farmer has had this year, be, and between the future and the upside that Parsons has to potentially be one of the best linebackers in college football. Like oh, yeah. if you if you think Micah Parsons is as good as being the number five player in the country, a five-star guy, you need him to play as much as possible. I, I, I think Koa Farmer has done a lot for this program. I think he's, despite the lows that he's had, he's had some highs. The best thing he could do for Penn State right now, and this is not to disrespect him as a player as much as it is looking at what could happen with Micah Parsons developing by getting as many snaps as possible, is for him to take that backseat and to let Micah Parsons play a little more. Nick Scott's kind of a similar situation. I get why it might be different with him if he's kind of in that quarterback of the defense role. Uh, but let him play. Let P.J. Mustafer cut into Robert Windsor's snaps a little bit if you think he's ready for that. Same with, like you mentioned, like Judge Culpepper and let Jason Oed do that. Let uh, Oh, yeah. I want to see Jason Oed just absolutely mm-hmm. eat. I, I want to see that. And, let, and I'll, inter- I'll interrupt you on, on your train of thought, but... I think Parsons is the best option in the short term and the and in the long yeah, term. That's I fair. think there's there's benefits for both. Uh, yeah, I I, I want to see him. I just want to see him get into a rhythm. I just really want to see him mm-hmm. feel out an offense while he's on the field and and figure it out and just like because he seems like the kind of player who once he like sees something he's just gonna say I'm just gonna do this all day all game and you're not gonna be able to stop mm-hmm. me. And I for sure. I want to see him do that so badly. Right and it. I mean, Cam Brown's kind of the same way. Like, he's that kind of player. So, like, I don't want his snaps being cut into. But for the other linebackers, yeah. I mean, I think let him play more. Let Jesse Lukita play more. And the other side, on offense, I I don't think there are any uh, there are any offensive linemen I think need to play, especially more if you think everyone's coming back. I mean, receiver, get Jahan Dotson more snaps. Get If you think Mac Hippenhammer is going to be a player, get him some more snaps. Like, that kind of thing. 
The big question for me is, as they approach these final few games, um, how do they handle Trace? Because you and I are I, we're going to be on the same page that you give Trace McSor you let him play every snap if he can. You you cannot do take this approach when he is uh, your fifth year captain quarterback. If he sure. can, if he can every snap, but. Do you think that with what is going on with his knee, and again, James Frank was never going to open up to the extent that we want him to open up about that, I'm sure. Is the move to basically at the first sign of trouble with that knee to bench him and get Tommy Stevens or Sean Clifford or whomever in there? I'm not sure. I know I know Franklin's comment about him, him earning the right kind of rubs some people the, the wrong way, but I, I think it's totally fair. I, I think if Trace... If Trace says he can play, unless it's, I think he's going to be healthier this week. I, I'm excited to get to practice on Wednesday and kind of take a look to see you know, how things are shaking out. But I think if if it's not glaring that this is severely limiting what you can do in the offense, I think they're going to let him keep going. He he he's the he's arguably the best quarterback in school history. He has every single record. He I, honestly I think he's earned it. I think he's earned the right to say I can play. And unless it's glaringly obvious to to everybody on the field. I think he has to be out there. I, I don't. I, I don't disagree. Like I, I do think they need to have a, a quick hook. I mean, I'm not saying you know do the uh, you know, don't be a manager in a game seven of the World Series when your starter allows a home run. Like not that quick. Uh, but if you think that he's not like you mentioned, if you have to cut down the playbook to make sure that Trace can stay on the field. If it's he's not moving around in the pocket like we know he can. He's not breaking away from the pocket. He's being a little bit more eager to stick it into Miles Sanders' gut when that's not there, so he's not taking hits because he knows that you know he's one hit away from his knee blown up. Whatever it is, as long as those sorts of things aren't happening, my concern is that uh, against a physical Wisconsin defense, that could come back to bite them. Um, for sure. I don't know if it will, obviously, uh, but I can. But, you know, Wisconsin's going to try and follow the blueprint that Michigan followed three and outs, get on the field, run at the defense. You need to be able to sustain drives. And if Trace is physically just unable to sustain drives, that's going to lead to some questions. And I, I don't know. I think it's best now to have a plan as you, uh, as they move forward to, uh, Make sure if those questions pop up, they have an answer right away. Um, yeah, and I, I would love to see Tommy. I, I think Tommy, I, I like Tommy as a person. He's one of my favorite people to talk to uh, at any media availability. And I would love to see him. I think, was that his first career interception that he, he, he threw it in the big house? Is that the first one? It have been. I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I would love to see how he bounces back from that. I, I, again, I like Parsons. I want to see how he gets into the rhythm of a game. But I, 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 I hate to say it, that's probably going to have to wait until what is it, Idaho next year, before we really get to see that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would love to, and I'm, I'm curious to see how it shakes out. Uh, I, I, I'm not confident Trace is going to play, to be completely honest. I'm not confident yeah. that he is going to play, but I'm saying if he is able to, until it's glaringly yeah. obvious, mm-hmm. to keep him in. I don't uh, know if that makes sense. He, no, he, all, he, just seem, he also kind of seems like someone who, uh, once he gets a chance to sit down and like speak it over with his family and talk through what's going on. And it, 
once he has some time to process it, if he feels like he just can't go, he seems like someone for how you know good of a competitor he is. Like he is would be willing to say, I just don't have it. Like I I would keep us from winning this game. But that's pure, oh, spe- sure. pure speculation. Yeah, he's absolutely. Yeah, he would. I think he would absolutely do that. That is pure speculation. As is my take that uh, I'm not 100 percent convinced that Tommy's getting the job next year. Um, oh, whoa! Like uh, I, that. I, that's for another pod. Yes. Very. Basically, to put it quickly, it depends on what they want to do with the offense. If they want the offense to be uh, a little more balanced, they want to be able to run the ball uh, more more effectively. They want the passing game to basically they want to do the first and ten, second and six, third and three, short pass offense, that sort of thing. I think Tommy's your guy. I think that if they want it to be a more pass happy offense, Sean Clifford might be the guy. Uh, but again, that's Fair point. that's. For another podcast. That's uh, for March when we need stuff to talk about. The, well, no, because we'll have the basketball team in the tournament. Uh, That's true. Yeah, Penn State basketball. We're, uh, oh, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm letting you all know, uh, myself, Chad, and maybe Eric are going to uh, be doing a basketball podcast. Because if there's one thing that you should expect from us, it's that literally any positive thing about Penn State basketball, we are going to overanalyze. So. Be on the lookout for that. Um, I just wrote a thousand words uh, <laughs> to cope with my football sadness. Uh, so that'll be up on the site. I wrote a thousand words, over a thousand words about oh, yeah. a Penn State West Virginia exhibition game. So that, that'll be up on the site hopefully tomorrow. Yeah, I still need that's to how work. I cope with that's how I cope with the forty-two-seven loss. I, I overanalyzed Jamari Wheeler hitting one three in his one attempt. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm working on trying to figure out what editorial decision I want to make for the introduction to the podcast. I will tell you after what the two things that I am down to, uh, but it's, it's going to be completely off the rails. Kind of the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap this one up though. Um, there are a lot of people who I think are, I don't know if expecting is the right word, but they can see very easily some kind of shakeup coming on this coaching staff. Um, whether it's a position coach, whether you're one of the people who think that, uh, that who think that Franklin has to fire Ricky Ronnie, or, or whether it be something like uh, Dan Wolken floated out, which I, I will address this momentarily about James Franklin looking around for another head coaching job. Um, which is ludicrous. Uh, so I, I want to know your thoughts, Matt, on what we've seen so far nine games into the year. For a few of these dudes, nine games into their tenures as either position coaches or coordinators at Penn State, what do you what do you kind of expect to happen? What do you kind of want to happen? For sure. I'll do the rundown. So I, I know you added me in, in our Slack on game day after I tweeted Probably the hottest take I think I've ever I've ever sent out to the public on Twitter about Ricky Ronnie. Uh, I cooled off a lot since then. Um, again, th- he's playing with a hurt quarterback against that top defense. Uh, I-, I think Ronnie's job security I- yeah. is fine. Yeah, uh, and I when you, so- if I may, when you can't when you can't throw the ball all year because your receivers can't get open, uh, which that could be the thing that needs to be fixed, but it's kind of obvious. That even though Ricky Ronnie hasn't been perfect, uh, I think his job is probably safe. Oh yeah, he's gonna learn. He he's a smart guy. He's gonna learn how to. He's gonna learn the ins and outs of the offense. Uh, outside of him, uh, I feel bad for David Corley, man. 
he got hired here to coach running backs. And then all of a sudden McIlwain got fired at Florida and you get cider and that opens up all the recruiting aspects of Florida. But you already had Corley on staff. Uh, you know, the army, the army running backs coaches, your receivers coach. I, I, I don't see him. I hate to say it, sticking around all that much longer. I don't even know if he'd want to. I mean, he's a running backs coach. So who knows? Yeah, I'm looking at the, I, I actually think he was he coached Army's receivers. Like Did he really? Yeah, he coached Army's wide receivers. His career progression was uh his college career progression, running backs at William and Mary, quarterbacks at William and Mary, wide receivers at William and Mary, running backs at UConn, wide receivers, special teams at UConn, running backs and special teams at UConn, wide receivers at Army, wide receivers at Penn State. So wow. he's right. well that's why they block so well. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's uh yeah, it's a nice little uh attribute for them to have but yeah i i look at the d i think the entire defensive coaching staff is beyond safe uh i think unless i don't know if brent, brent probably back i was gonna there say was the rumors about the yeah go ahead i was gonna say brent pry he was flirting with a coaching job uh last year uh i wanted it was louisiana lafayette which i think might be his all raging cajuns it might be his alma mater, if I remember correctly. Either that or he coached there. Okay, no, he's he was coached it Monroe? there. It was he, Monroe, right? Yeah. He was yeah. He got offered the chance to be uh the head coach, I believe, at Louisiana Lafayette. Um Yeah. Oh wait, no, no, no. What was it? Like I can't remember exactly what it was. It was uh their head coach. Yeah. He was offered the chance to be the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette. He turned that down. He decided to stick at Penn State. That's probably smart. He can get a better job than Louisiana Lafayette's head coach. Like, he can get a solid job. If that opens up, I would not be surprised. If the right job opens up, I would not be surprised if he leaves. Uh, not because, like, I think there's going to be a mutual parting ways or anything. It's just, you know, you can only hold on to good coordinators so long, and I think Brent Pride's a really good coordinator. Um, yeah, for sure. Sean, Sean Spencer, Spen- maybe maybe could be getting a, yeah. a, a from... I, he said he wants to be a head coach eventually. You yeah. know, you're not going to go from defensive line coach to head coach, so, yeah. you know. He That'll can, be fun. They'll blitz, sure. they'll blitz every play. That'll Hell yeah. be fun. <laughs> yeah, you can. I can see a scenario in which he leaves. I think Terry Smith probably isn't going anywhere. I think Tim Banks probably isn't going anywhere. I, I think Franklin is actually space. He's more or less said, or someone has speculated this, that in the event that uh, that uh, Pry leaves, the in-house option is Tim Banks. I might be making really? that up. I'm not 100% sure. I'll double-check that. Uh, but like they, that's basically been... It, it, it seems like the defensive coaching staff, unless guys are leaving on their own accord, they're going to stay. The offensive coaching staff, um, um, I think looking at everyone, Ronnie I think is safe. I think Ricky Ronnie yep. is probably not going to lose his job. I think Matt Limegrover is probably safe. Um, I think I, I've seen some people on Twitter who have been saying, like, we need to ask some questions about him, which I think is fair, but I think he's probably safe. Um, yep. I think... I think Juwan's, Bowen's the safest. Juwan's, yep, Juwan Cedar's safe, and uh, unless he wants to go get a job that isn't coaching running backs at Penn State. And Tyler Bowen, I mean, he's done a great job this year. Pat Fryermuth has been really the one player who I think is complete on offense who has completely outperformed his expectations. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah, comes, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's the safest, I think. If and he's young, so he's not going anywhere anytime soon, which is exciting, Yeah, I think at least. Yeah, yeah. And so if there is a sacrificial lamb so to speak on that, I think it would be David Corley. And then I w- like, I don't know if this is a, uh, like what this is, but man, Phil Galliano, I don't know what to make there. He has, 
he has only coached special teams before this at Rutgers. He was a he's been an intern, he's been a consultant, he's been in charge of recruiting. This is kind of new for him. So I can see Franklin wanting to be a little bit uh, a little bit patient with him. Um, but oh god. The they've made so many mistakes on special teams this year that that's it's just unfathomable to me. And they've made a lot of mistakes in, on the whole this year, but the special teams ones have been especially the case. But still, like they've been the same mistakes too on mm-hmm. special teams. Yep. So I I don't know. Like I I don't know what happens there. It's also very possible that James Franklin goes. Listen, it's a young team. It's also a young coaching staff. Let's keep them all around. Let's let them all grow together, and let's keep an eye on next year when we have to replace uh, Trace McSorley. We have to replace Koa Farmer. We have to replace Nick Scott. We have to replace Amani Oruwarie. And other than that, as long as no one goes to the draft, everyone's coming back. Like, it's it's that fluid of a situation. I think it could very easily uh, come into uh, be made a much easier decision if the next couple of weeks go awry. But I don't think anything is changing there. Also, uh, I, I have to. I saw people freaking out on... Twitter and wherever over uh, Dan Wolken of USA Today Sports. I, I believe it was him uh, saying something. Yeah, it was Dan Wolken saying that he thinks it wouldn't be the worst idea for James Franklin to look around or something like that. He wrote on his uh, he wrote for USA Today. James Franklin isn't on the hot seat or anywhere near it right now. But if I were advising him about the next part of his career, I would suggest. This might be a good time to look around if a top-level job, like perhaps USC, opens up. Uh, He's not yet reached the level where he can sustain two disappointing seasons in a row without feeling the heat. Uh, Next year could be rough. Uh, It might not be fair coming off of back-to-back finishes. You'd rather have Franklin running your program than not for now, but just ask us, smells on, how well that insulates you when you hit a rough patch. I think that's all speculation. Like, I don't yeah. think there's any indication. Like, I don't think anyone has to worry about James Franklin uh, looking around. But what I do want everyone to be aware of, and what I do want to warn everyone of, is that at some point during uh, this offseason, when, uh, sorry, when the coaching carousel starts up, USC is going to open up in all likelihood. And because they have been interested in James Franklin in the past, they are going to, we're going to hear reports that they're reaching out or they're sending out feelers and they want to know what level of interest James Franklin would have about going to USC. And that's either going to be one of two things. Well, one of three things. One, it's going to be to some extent legitimate, but James Franklin won't be interested. Two, it's just not going to be true. Or three, it's going to be a story planted by someone to get someone else some money. Whether it's James Franklin, whether it's someone at USC, whomever it might be. Be prepared for that. Be prepared for when that comes. James Franklin, I don't think, is going anywhere. I would be very, very surprised if he ends up going anywhere. Um, But again, there's a lot of stuff that could be made. Really, really weird over the next couple of weeks. Uh, there, 
I, I think they're like a touchdown plus favorite over Wisconsin. They should win that. They well, should you're not losing to Rutgers. So. They're, they're, yeah, they're gonna they're going to do some really really uncomfortable things to Rutgers football just because everyone does that. And then yeah. Lord knows what Maryland team's going to come up show up for that game. But I trust the Penn State's going to beat them. Yeah. They, this team could end up going ten. 10 and 3, winning their bowl game, having three straight double digit win years. And that is something to hang your hat on. But yeah, having said that, you get rid of a coach over. Yeah. But Can having I say something s- real quick about that that, I, that I've, been thinking, I've been sitting on for a while. Go ahead. So if you fire James Franklin, you risk becoming Nebraska. Uh, uh, Ooh, Nebraska's yeah. on yeah. their way up. They fired Bo Pelini, the guy who's going to win you probably his floor was eight wins a year for 99. Point five percent of college football programs. The fact that eight wins is your floor is really good. So if the floor's uh, eight, the average is nine ten, and the ceiling is eleven twelve, that's pretty good. And look what happened in Nebraska. Their highlight of their season is probably going to be that they kept it close against Ohio State. That set that program back so far back, and they are lucky Scott Frost was there and didn't get a bigger job before that after uh, UCF. If he if that happened a year later, Scott Frost is not the coach of Nebraska. Uh, I, I've been saying that for like since Ohio State when I've seen people. I don't even know if they were true. Or if they were legitimate calling for Franklin's firing. Yeah, th- th- you risk becoming Nebraska if you let that guy go. Yeah, uh, Bill Connolly wrote something really good um, after uh, Texas A and M fired Kevin Sumlin and Arizona State fired Todd Graham, um, where they he he coined it uh Glenn Mason territory for when Glenn Mason was at Minnesota he got them to a 10 win year and then he was never able to quite replicate that and he mentioned that it's very risky firing a coach when you are in what he calls Glenn Mason territory when he had you exceed expectations and then he had you meet or get just above expectations both for what your team is and what it historically has been. Um, and James Franklin is above that. I mean, three straight, potentially three straight double-digit win seasons is something that Penn State football hasn't had uh, in, uh, it's in a long, long while. I, I'm pulling it up right here. They haven't had three straight double-digit win seasons since uh, 1980, 81, and 82. They are in as good of a spot as any program in college football. Yeah. Outside of like yeah. Alabama and Clemson. Yeah, but, but no having, one's going to be yeah. in, a better, in Alabama as long as Tua and then yeah. young Tua who will be there <laughs> next year. Yeah, god damn it. Uh, they, but yeah, I mean, you're not firing James Franklin unless um, some gigantic blunders start happening on and off the in terms of bad play, in terms of recruiting, falling off, that sort of thing. I can, I wouldn't, I, I, it's not that I wouldn't be surprised if this happens. Next year, they're going to go into a lot of, into the season with a lot of pressure on Ronnie, I think, uh, kind of regardless, because he has to show that he isn't just uh, a guy running some other dude's offense that worked. He has to show that he's a guy who can run an offense, and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be more interesting, but I, I think James Franklin's fine. And again, he is not leaving for the USC job, barring something completely unforeseen. So please do not get hung up on that, uh, whether you like James Franklin or not. That's I think that's going to be a non-starter. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's uh, 
We spent far more time talking about this game than I'd like. Um, we will get this pod up. Uh, you will listen to it, and then if you keep listening to the pod after that, God bless you. Uh, thank, thanks for listening. Uh, please make sure you're following us and liking us on all our various social media channels. Uh, make sure you keep buying shirts, keep reading and supporting the site. And thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. Please get onto iTunes, subscribe to it, leave reviews, subscribe on any other podcast platform you might have. And yeah. Buy our shirts. Buy, help me buy groceries. Buy shirts because they help Matt buy groceries. If you hear that uh, and you don't buy shirts, uh, you actually have a, you are morally bankrupt. It's really that simple. <laughs> but yeah. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. For my co-host, Matt Filippovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care.